I'm Ben Racky, and this is the Rangers of Motion podcast. Today, I have Kyle Dobbs on the podcast. Kyle, if you don't mind, just introduce yourself and give us a little bit of a, of a, of a summary of your background. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give the kind of short version. Um, so I was, I'm kind of your typical flamed out college athlete. You know, I think like many of us coaches are, got hurt and found the weight room. And yeah, you know, it sounds familiar, right? We yeah. Being better lifting weights in our sport. Yes. Uh, and as I went through school and undergrad, I was also a pre-med major. So I was a double major biology chemistry with a physical science minor. I figured out about my junior year or so that I didn't want to go to med school. Um, one, I was, you know, 21, 20, 20, 21 years old. And I, I liked the nightlife way too much as well. And, and was kind of lazy about it. But I also fell in love with the training aspect of, of things and wanted to be a little more preventative and really, you know, talk to some of my coaches and the strength and conditioning coaches on our team and kind of explored the the coaching side of things as far as like being a strength coach, being a personal trainer. And my idea was to eventually, you know, work with a collegiate team straight out of school and life kind of had other plans for me. My, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, um, got a job in New York straight out of school. She was a um, fashion major. So she went she interned there every summer, got a, got a job there. And we both, I, I just kind of said, fuck it, let's go on an adventure. We moved up there um, and I moved there with her. And we, I found out really quickly that there are no athletes in Manhattan for me to train. So I, I ended up working at a box gym in the middle of the city. And uh, we were there for 15 years, you know, most. And I, I started as a coach, just a, a personal trainer and kind of worked my way up. I was, for the company I worked with, I was one of the top, five in the country from a production standpoint for six or seven years before I went into education development and management for them and went on to become a fitness manager of the year for two years. So I had the most successful facility, you know, within the nation for them. Um, and then into district and regional management, I went from there to a gym called Peak Performance in New York and was their personal training director. That's where I met, you know, great people like Pat Davidson and yep. the team and some other guys and, and girls and we had a great staff and that gym kind of exploded for some other logistics reasons from a financial standpoint and I went on to another company based out of New York um, where I was their national fitness and education director as well um, so I was overseeing 70 to 80 locations nationwide um, and about 3,000 coaches at any given time and I was also kind of in charge of their, their hiring and everything else as well so I've coached a lot, but I've actually probably worked in leadership and management even longer, you know, from that perspective. Um, when I ended up moving back here uh, to the Midwest, uh, you know, one, to be closer to family and two, just because I was completely burnt out uh, on New York at that time. And so we moved back here about four and a half years ago. I started my current company, Compound Performance, right at four years ago at this point. Uh, and we do a lot of things on both the training and, and trainer development side of things. We run individual and group programs on both. 
over the last four years, um, my partner and I, uh, Matt, have worked with right at 2,000 total coaches within all of our programs um, and, and athletes, I should say. So the combination of both. And we just also launched another business um, as far as a kind of full-scale training app as well that we hope to branch into gym management uh, around Q3 of this year and then corporate wellness uh, along the way. Um, And somewhere in that whole mix, um, I've been married for almost 12 years and I have a 10-year-old, almost 11-year-old and an eight-year-old and a one-year-old puppy. Um, And I got my get my graduate degree in um, industrial and organizational psychology over the last two years. So there's been a lot kind of all mixed into there, um, but it's been a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah. So. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That, that, so I guess my, my first question before we dive into this stuff, I have jotted that, like, how was, how was managing getting a, a degree in psychology while, being a business owner, being a husband, being a father. Cause like, that's something that I, and I guess that's just a question for me and like anybody, the, you know, five people that'll maybe listen to this, that, you know, maybe are, are like dads and have children and have spouses and busy lives. It, it was an adventure. And, you know, I, I always like to caveat everything with, you know, the fact that my wife is a, this rock star and, and really held things down during that period of time. And, and I did the, the part-time track instead of the full-time track from a school perspective. And I did it entirely remote, you know, so I was fortunate enough to where I would have lectures, you know, in the evenings twice a week throughout that period of time, just a 90, 90 minute to two hour lecture, like 8 PM on a Tuesday and Thursday, which is, you know, past my bedtime at this point, right. uh, so I would do that. And then I would have, you know, papers essentially do every other week. So I would lose a lot of weekend time. Um, and a lot of evening time also dedicated to writing, you know, 10 to 15 page research papers, you know, based on, you know, whatever, whatever class in the curriculum that I was in at that point. Um, so it, it was kind of a, a long two years where I, I lost a lot of weekend time with the kids where I was just cooped up in my office for six to eight hours at a time trying to cram out, you know, papers or I was, you know, trying to work after they were in bed from like eight to midnight and then get up and go to the gym at five o'clock to train, you know, that, you know, so it was definitely, it aged me a little bit. Um, but I also, it, I was really excited and interested in the course material, you know, and the, the great thing about a, a graduate program is there's no, there's no fluff, right? Like all the classes are classes you're actually interested in, you know, so I didn't have to take any, you know, just, you know, prereqs or anything of that nature. I could kind of dive into the stuff that I was really interested in. So it was also exciting at the same time, um, which gave it a lot of purpose, you know, from my perspective and and made it, you know, a little more worth it. Um, From a business perspective, it it didn't impact me negatively that much. My, my typical work day and I, I always say this, I'm always a little ashamed to say, but I work typically like 10 to three, you know, from a working hours perspective. Um, We just, I'm efficient in what we do and I kind of cram everything in. And I found that if I have a shorter day, I ended up just working better and more efficiently throughout that day. More productive. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, that, that enables me to, you know, I train in the morning and I come home and usually I'm home around seven. So I'm getting, you know, the kids are getting up. My wife and I are getting them breakfast, getting them dressed, getting them ready for school. I take them out to the bus. So I can spend the whole morning with them, drink a cup of coffee with my wife before we start our days. 
And then in the evenings, you know, they get home around like 345 off the bus and I'm there to be able to, you know, take them to their practices and, and hang out and help coach their basketball team and go to the park. And, you know, so that, that part of things was super important for me where I, I will make less money and take on less work if I can maintain those, those aspects of my life. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely somebody who have, I've turned down opportunities in the past that again, I think those things came back to me, you know, five, tenfold, you know, down the road. Um, but I'm, I'm a huge, huge proponent of not necessarily work-life balance, but, but like just having the lifestyle that I want and making my work kind of reflect those things. Um, and, you know, so we, Matt and I both are, you know, again, in, in agreement with that and very aligned with that. So I'm definitely fortunate to have him also work with me. Now Craig, who's, who's our third employee working with us and, and our developer, and, and we all kind of see things the same way. You know, and I think that's really important just from a business perspective or an organizational perspective as well as um, fundamentally, like we believe in the same things and we have the same values or very similar ones, even though we have different skill sets. And that, that enables us to really, again, kind of what we talked about before even getting on the call, like diversify what actions need to be done and what implementations need to be, you know, processed where there's things that, you know, Matt and Craig are really good at that I'm not, and I have no problem delegating those things out and let them crush them. And right. there's things that I definitely need to do, or I'm going to be more efficient doing, and I'll take over those roles and, and we just make it work, you know? And I think that's, um, that, that's probably one of our strengths as a company. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, now with having a two-year-old, having a one-year-old on the way, I'm definitely starting to realize, and it's something you said, <clears throat> I don't know, it was a recent podcast or something where I heard you speaking like about, you know, you're telling trainers and coaches, you know, and, and in my early twenties, like I could train whenever the hell I wanted Kyle, you know what I mean? Like if I did want to get up early before my clients, then I could get up early. If I did want to train on lunch, then I could train on lunch. If I wanted to stay late and do it, you know, I could kind of do whatever. And even going back to college, like you really got a lot of freedom. Like people, you know, and these college kids and these high school kids think, talk about how like, you know, crazy their life is just, just wait, like, just wait till, wait till you get married and have, have a kid or two. But like now, it, you know, and again, I heard you speaking about this, like, you know, telling trainers, like, you know, get your workout done, like first thing before anything, or like things start to get in the way. And just as time has gone on here, like with, you know, again, my two-year-old getting closer to three, my wife getting closer to having this, you know, she's due April 12th. So like, it's, yeah, I'm going to have another baby, like busy, you know, busy schedule. It's like, get up at five or five 30 or whatever. And luckily there's an anytime fitness. That's literally, I could jog there in 10 minutes. So like, luckily there's a little gym right here that I could just get in and get out. Um, but I mean, I guess that's, that's bringing it back to that. Like you're, you're a jacked dude, like for somebody who's a younger father and a meathead, like obviously like I'm a meathead. Like, in general, like we all celebrate our meatheadedness, man. That is who I, I, I try to vibe with. Yeah. I, I, I love, I love, uh, I love getting, getting juicy pumps. I love getting, getting jacked strong. I love, love all of it. So, um, so you're, you're, you're even an, an inspiration for somebody like me. That's like, you know, all right. Like this, this guy, Kyle is like out here 
just lapping me with like, you know, he's got a psychology degree. He's got like all of these businesses. He's got, a, a, a he's got kids. He's got, you know, he's, he's so, um, you know, that's, that it, it's, it's, it, it's very, it's, it's cool to see, um, you know, and, and, and the other thing that I was going to kind of bring up was like, I'm a Midwest kid. Like my dad grew up, uh, he works for Baker concrete construction, uh, the largest, uh, concrete construction um subcontractor in north america he's been with them for 32 years been working in concrete since he was 15 14 15 years old you know so i'm used to my dad like getting up at wee hours in the morning going out of town you know for long stints you know going out of town town maybe even for shorter stint like my senior year of high school he would come he would leave he would leave on sunday nights and then he would come and so like we live in Cincinnati, like Northern Kentucky, close to Cincinnati. He would, he would, uh, he would get up, leave on Sundays and then he'd come back on Thursdays, like Thursday nights. So he could watch me play football on Friday nights. So like, I'm used to my dad, like, you know, working hard, <laughs> hard labor and working a lot of hours and maybe not, um, you know, having that to having the time or like the energy or whatever to spend that quality time with, with us. And it's something like kind of, you were talking about, like with my kids, like I, and yeah, I hate dad, dad is a, dad's a, I think he comes from the generation of like, you know, the father brings home the, 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 the money you, you get, you, you know what I'm getting at here. So like, um, which again, like, you know, mad respect to my dad like he's it fucking killed himself all these years basically really run really really uh really it's it's done a number on on his body and stuff like that but like i want to i definitely want to always put myself in that position to like just be there for my kids like period i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take on a bunch of extra responsibility to make x amount of more dollars or whatever it is you know we luckily we live you know we're in the Midwest, you know, you don't have to make as much as you, as you have to make in New York or California or, you know, so that stuff, that stuff's really, really important, really important to me as well. So. And that's, I mean, that's something like, again, I, I think is that's very similar to my story with, you know, my, my father as well as also growing up in the Midwest, you know, we had, a small dairy farm that again we out we outsourced all of our you know raw milk into a conglomerate and everything but but i mean he worked two jobs you know we were very blue collar and he were he was a respiratory therapist he went back to school when i was in middle school and, and got his degree there and, and started working that as well and for the majority of my childhood he worked nights at a hospital on days on the farm and around the farm doing what needed to be done and he would get home usually, you know, seven or eight a.m., which meant that I was getting up, you know, at four thirty-five o'clock, feeding, milking, doing what I needed to do before school, and you know, basically from you know ten, eleven years on, and you know, so that's also part of the caveat to me being like an early morning workout person is I've just been getting up early for as long as I can remember, right? There's no, and I'm actually kind of worthless like after ten a.m. Like I also tell people that like Matt works out at, like two in the afternoon, and I'm just like, man, there's I'm not doing anything physical at two in the I'm done I'm done Uh, but I'm good in the morning like that's when I can usually you know make things happen and 
even in college, like we had morning practices and morning weights, you know, typically. So I was right. I'm used to getting up early at that point too. And, you know, I, I think from that perspective, like just the relationships we have with our fathers, because my, my father was definitely of that generation. He passed away, you know, nine years ago, but we had a good relationship, but not, not a great one all the time. You know, we definitely had our differences and he's somebody I always respected, but I never felt like I had a real, a real connection to, you know, all the time. And, yep. you know, that's something that the one thing I did pick up from him for sure was just hard work. You know, right. and he, he was probably the hardest worker I've ever known just as far as being a human being and you know, sleeping three to four hours a day and just working, you know, yep. nonstop. Yep. Uh, whether it be his job at the hospital or just home, you know, he, he would, you know, I have a, when I was a sophomore in high school, we would have our summer workouts and, you know, we'd, we'd go into the morning and lift and we'd have open gyms in the evening. And they were like those, you know, quote unquote, non-mandatory, but mandatory. <laughs> but yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, to get around, to get around the, the bylaws. And I remember coming into a, an open gym in the evening once and I was just dragging ass. And, and my coach was like, you know, spend all day at the pool drinking or whatever. And I was like, I was like, man, my, I went home. I, I chopped literally three cords of wood with my dad this afternoon. <laughs> like, like I've been working, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, he didn't care that I lifted weights in the morning and that I was playing basketball in the evening. Like he did not care at all. Like we we chopped wood for you know seven hours, uh, split firewood, you know. So like blisters was, on the blisters on the hand oh, type of yeah. shit. Like my every time, numb. my hands were numb. Right? You yeah. Know, I just like my coaches looked at me like, oh, it's it's different out here because he was he was actually from out east. Like, oh, God, this is what we're working with. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm going to do my best, but it's been a day, you know, yeah. that was just kind of my, my typical day. And just like all my other teammates were just lounging around playing video games all day. You know, it's, just, it's just a different situation. Sometimes. Yeah. A hundred percent. I had no excuses. You know, he had no. three artificial knee replacements. So he had a replacement replaced, he had frozen shoulder and he would still outwork me. But I was, well, and, 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 and I, again, like very similar to, I mean, my father, so like he, he'll come home even now to this day. And he's so meticulous about even his yard, Kyle, like the grass has to be perfectly mowed. Like the, he's just like non, nonstop, man. He's, he's a workaholic. He's always got something going on and he's into, you know, him and my brother are into like, you know, fishing and hunting and the outdoors and stuff. So they're just always he's always doing always tinkering, you know, uh, with, with stuff in the basement and, you know, Oh, I got another new push mower. And I'm like, you've got three, like, why do you have, well, I just, you know, like, uh, it's, it's more of a hobby, I think for, for him than anything. And that's just who, you know, that's just, that's just who he is. But like, again, I, I can't, where I got my like work ethic and grit from and, you know, the, the, I guess, attitude I had when I did leave, you know, my Globo gym to like start my own fitness business and stuff at a, at too young of an age, like, you know, was, was from, was from kind of that, like, all right, like my dad, you know, has gotten up at two and three and four in the morning, every day, my whole entire life, you know, and, and I'm, coaching people in sweatpants and fucking shorts. So like I have nothing 
ever to complain about. And like, there's, I've been around coaches and stuff that will complain about early shifts and, and, and things like that. And I just always bring it back to that. I'm like, guys, you know, like I'll tell the story of my dad, just be like, you know, my dad has literally done this now for, you know, 40 years, 50 years. Um, and, and never really fucking complained a day in his life. Like, and my dad, I can, I can only count on maybe, probably not even two hands, honestly, like how many times he had to miss work and things like that. You know, he did end up getting COVID and got pretty sick last year and missed a decent amount of work. But like, you know, um, that, that grit and work ethic is really, really carried over into my, into my life as well. So I, I, that's, it's definitely something that we, that we have in common there, I guess, like switching gears here, finally to start talking about some training stuff. So I know a lot of, um, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that, that I've learned from you, um, you know, just with listening to you on other podcasts, I know you have an extensive background with, with all of these different systems, right? Like I've, you've been coaching now for, for, for so long, but like, Oh, I've been around. I've been um, around. Well, I, that, that I wasn't trying to call you old. Kyle. <laughs> I, I'll call myself. I, I feel it every day. Believe me. Um, but like, I guess just if you could, cause I mean, I, and I've considered it and like, you can give me your opinion on like what a, if, if a PRI course would be beneficial for, you know, a, a coach or a trainer who's just working with, um, you know, a, a, a general fitness clientele. And, you know, I, I work with, with sport and, uh, uh, field and court sport athletes as well uh, but just like i guess a an, an overview or like a you know a, a pri for a for a for a <laughs> lack of a better term a dummy coat dummy meathead trainer you know and, and again like I, i'm 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 kind of i'm jabbing myself a little bit but you know i'm i'm going on six years in the field so like i've i've got a a, a good amount of experience but um just for real world clients real world sport you know, field court sport athletes, like if you could give just a, a general overview of PRI, that would be super cool. And I, so I think even the, the first caveat there is, you know, I, I think all of these systems hold out, you know, in right. Some, right. You know, and again, I, I think where, where coaches get in trouble is, you know, they take a new course or they learn a new system and they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And it's like everything they've ever done has just been, you know, is now is now completely mitigated yep. and it's wrong and whatever. And this new thing is the thing, right? It's the thing that's gonna, you know, just change everybody's lives and, and make the biggest difference. And, and not to and not to cut you off, Kyle, but I do think that I've been to courses where there's coaches that like they almost sell it as that. Oh, for sure. Uh, they're they're brands, right? They're, right. They're, they're, all, they're all companies and that's another thing that coaches have to understand is we're consumers, right? And all of these, all of these acronyms, you know, and, and different certifying bodies and different assessment protocols and whatever, they're all competing for, you know, one, our attention because we're also their best marketers and, and two, obviously our money, right? Because they're not, they're not cheap, you know, to, right. to certify and then renew obviously. And then you have your, your secondary courses and tertiary courses and not down the line, your level ones, twos, threes to infinity, right? Right. So, so that's something that coaches have to understand is you're, you're being marketed to, right? This, the same way you are for anything else. And I, and I think because we're biased towards information, it becomes even that much more appealing because you're like, oh, like you, you get me, like you understand where I'm coming from, right? You know, and, 
they're just really good at it, you know, and I, and I've been, like I said, I've, I've been down every rabbit hole just about over the course of my career, whether it be, you know, FMS and SFMA to DNS to FRC and FRA to the different PRI courses to other stuff beyond that. Right. And, and, you know, my biggest thing is, you know, as I went through these, you know, my, I wanted to find commonalities, you know, within all the systems, because if I could find the things that they say that are similar or synonymous, I can probably find the things that probably matter the most, right? If all of these different lenses are viewing the same thing the same way, that's going to be valuable. And the things that are really just specific to, to certain, you know, systems, maybe that's more demographic dependent or more application dependent or whatever. Right. So that's something that I think is also important to understand before we get into this and, and looking at PRI specifically. And again, like I'm not a PRI expert. I've, I've taken five courses. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I also had the benefit of, you know, I got into it when I was working with Pat, who at that point was instructing it. And Pat trained, right? So I, I got to learn, I got to learn these things and then go out on a gym floor and use them under, under stimulus, right? And I did, I ended up taking all of my primaries as home studies. And, you know, so I got to kind of, you know, go over the material, then go to the gym and lift with the, with our team and kind of apply these concepts in a way that probably wasn't actually how, how PRI would have been teaching those things within their open seminars. Right. And, you know, when I actually went to my first live seminar, which was my fourth course, uh, impingement instability, you know, I kind of walked into this conference room and it was like the record kind of screeched and everybody looked at me and I was like, Oh shit, I'm, I'm the only person in here that trains. Like that's literally what yeah. I had right away. I was just like, Oh, you, not that there's anything wrong with it, but it was, it was a lot of DPTs and a lot of chiros. And I was like, I'm the only person that doesn't wear khakis and a polo to work. You know, right. when I, very obvious when I kind of went in and, and I remember even getting into a breakout session where we were going through an assessment process and an intervention. And I remember asking the guy, I was like, so how would you like load this? And the guy just looked at me like I had, huh? <laughs> it was like loaded. Like, load. Yeah, what, what is like, that? Okay, cool. Cool. Okay. <laughs> My bad, my bad. Um, I'm just a meathead dummy too. So thinking about weights over here. Uh, you know, so I, I think that the thing with PRI is obviously you're you're looking at a lot of respiration and skeletal based mechanics, right? So the, their big thing is, you know, the the position drives the function more so than like the function that drives the, the position, right? So if you look at like a an FMS based or even a FRC based, right? You're looking at muscular function driving skeletal position a lot of the time. Like that's where like the activation, quote unquote, and the integration aspects of those of those systems kind of you know occur. PRI is looking at how the body is responding to you know gravity when we're talking about posture and gait, and then load when we're talking about like higher stem exercise. Um, because load will basically turn into your new center of mass a lot of those times. So we're looking at the axial skeleton as your center of mass, right? So your rib cage is primarily going to be your center of mass and how it is oriented in space as opposed to your pelvis is going to dictate a lot of what your movement strategies are going to be when it comes to just gait-related things and posture-related things. So their big thing is like they want to have kind of a stack, right? Because a stack is going to be 
where your axial skeleton is lined up, right? So you've got a head right over a sternum and a sternum right over a pelvis, right? And a, and a pelvis right over a midfoot, essentially, is what you're looking at. So the reason that is important from a postural perspective is that's where your body has to do the least amount of work, right? If we're just looking at force vectors. You know, we have a straight down force vector. The most stacked you are is the least, the least amount of work. So it's, it's a homeostatic mechanism, right? Your body can conserve energy in that space. Right. which means it's under less stress. And as you're walking, we're looking at things from a gait perspective of how, again, the body is, is again, managing gravity, right? So if we're going through a gait cycle and we're going through early, mid, late stance, we're going to have now ground force reaction and we're going to have you know spatial reaction as far as how your body's now managing not only a you know vertical force vector, but forward propulsion. And so we're going to be seeing now opposite actions happening on the lower body and upper body. So we're going to have, you know, a pelvis that's rotating and then a rib cage that's kind of rotating opposite. And then femurs and scaps and, and humeruses are, are doing, you know, different flexion extension patterns based on that. So that stuff is all, I think, valuable as far as just looking at, like, how can we create, you know, neutrality, you know, with, with a lot of those? Because, again, I... I, I I always struggle with using the words posture and neutral because those things are very subjective and those, right. those are conditions where, you know, from my perspective and my, my opinion, like those, those are starting points, right. For right. a lot of people. And depending on what task we're doing, like we're probably going to need to move out of neutral, you know, at some point, right. And get into extension, flexion, rotation, whatever. Um, so again, I, the, the point when I say neutral is not that we're going to remain or try to remain neutral throughout an entire task. It's more so if we can start in neutral, we actually have more bandwidth to access flexion, extension, rotation, or any of these other aspects we might need uh, for completion. So we're looking at, you know, respiration to help maintain the actual position of the rib cage. And, and, you know, it's going to expand as we inhale and the diaphragm is going to descend. And as we exhale, it's going to compress and the diaphragm is going to uh, send up and that's going to also help you know integrate obliques rectus abdominis tba right the things that are connecting our rib cage to our pelvis to kind of maintain that orientation through space without having to walk around and make a full flex all the time like you're you're at the pool trying to look jack right it's right like, talk to me flex my abs like yeah. <laughs> taking you know, the I, taking the ig pick <laughs> exactly, exactly right so with, with this, like they're they're looking at like how can we use respiration as a way to maintain inner abdominal pressure and stability at the axial skeleton. And they call it a zone of apposition, but it's essentially going to be IAP for someone who's not familiar with that jargon. Um, and, and that's going to help maintain just that neutrality or that static. And what I like about PRI is from a pattern perspective, it's really good for gait and more passive postures. And I think with a, with a general population client, especially you can, if you have somebody who's like in an excessive like extension pattern or they're, or someone who's in more of a rounded flexion-based pattern, you can do a lot of things with just repositioning the, the rib cage in relation to the pelvis to kind of get them into a better postural position, right? Something that's a little more efficient. Um, as soon as you get into you know, things that are more like athletic performance based, it becomes less and less applicable. And, right. and, and this, this is more so just my experience, but 
what we're looking at is different load placements, different stimuluses, different force vectors and, and task demands are going to dictate that an individual has to now leverage a lot of different positions, right? And, you know, if, if you're a basketball player or a football player or whatever, you're never in neutral in your sport, right? Like you're always going to be leveraging a different strategy just based on jumping, running, change of direction, rotation, whatever, right? So it's good to kind of have an understanding of what a neutral reset would be outside of sport. But we also have to understand that if we want to express power or force production, we have to be able to leverage a lot of these other positions. Right. We have to be able to do those things well. So there's this weird dichotomy where neutral is really great for minimizing energy expenditure, but the entire point of sport is maximizing energy expenditure right 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 yeah, so so again i think that the context and the application of of the you know the pri system in general is one that and it, that a lot of coaches not the system itself even but a lot of coaches have kind of bastardized a little bit and said like hey i can use these things in powerlifting, or i can use these things with a, a hockey player or a field sport athlete or whatever and the reality of it is, as soon as you're adding additional load or additional stimulus, especially high-end stimulus to the picture, that system's going to fall apart really quickly because the athlete's going to self-organize into, you know, the task demands based on individual morphology, based on training history, based on injury history, just based on, again, task exposure and their familiarity with the task itself, right? You know, you have all these other factors that, really kind of negate some of these more generalized movement principles that are designed for, frankly, rehab settings, right? Again, restoration is in the name, um, you know, where it's like, okay, these are very low stem, low load strategies. Like again, walking down the street, standing, unloaded. And, and for me, it's like, when I look at that, it would make no sense for me to use the same training strategies on a rehab client as I would on a football player right. or a basketball player or a runner. Uh, you know, so again, it, it's like, for me, it's just like the, the application matters, the context matters. Um, it doesn't mean it's not useful, but it means you probably have to modify some things significantly. And I mean, just some things that I've picked up on from you. I mean, so I guess a little, a, a little bit of a, a little bit more preface. Like I had, I, there was a, a guy that I, that I worked for who, you know, Kyle, he would, you know, again, not whatever, like clients that have, you know, 50 or more pounds to lose 50 to 100, maybe even 150 pounds to lose where, you know, they're spending, you know, and he, he it might have even been a 30 minute session, or maybe it was an hour session, but they're spending the first, you know, 15 to 30 minutes doing kind of like you said, like these low level and some of it was like, again, like it didn't make any sense to me, like the the balloon breathing stuff and like the, and it's like, you know, when I was looking at that, I'm like, all right, like, and again, like this, this is, you know, a while ago now, but like, you know, I'm thinking like, is that like, are, are these things really worth that person's money that they're paying? You know, if they're paying whatever, 55, 65, 70, $70 an hour for, 
when the low hanging fruit is like, you know, this person needs to lose some weight, just like, not only for, you know, them to like, look better, feel better about themselves, but like, just from a health standpoint, to not be pre-diabetic and at risk of cardiovascular disease, right? You know, and, the, and on actually, high blood pressure medication, yeah. and you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah and, and that's where you know we actually talk about this in our groups because I use this as an example because I had the same situation happen to me when I was working in, you know, the more corporate world, and it's funny because it was actually somebody who was using, and, and I and I don't mean this. We're talking about PRI. I don't mean to bash PRI, but they were using PRI strategies on someone who had probably a 60 to 70 pound weight loss goal. And, you know, and I'm talking with them and they're like, yeah, they're in like this huge, like compressed extension based pattern. And I'm just trying to get them that posterior expansion, whatever. And I'm just sitting there like looking at the person. I'm like, but their, their, their belly fat is literally what's pulling them into extension. That's how they're managing gravity. And none of these drills are going to do anything long-term unless that per until that person loses weight. Right. So you're, you're doing a lot of things that might give them some, some immediate short-term satisfaction. Like, yeah, you can probably take some pressure off like their low back or whatever, because you can get them in a hook flying position and flatten out a little bit. But as soon as they stand up and walk out of the gym, like gravity comes back on, they're right back to where they were. Right. They're right. You're using the same strategies. And the lo- and again, it's like a, I always. It sounds so simple, and, and people I think think I'm patronizing them a lot of the times. But I'll have people ask me all the time, like, like what what should this person do? And they'll show me somebody who you know is maybe like overweight and, and very extended. I'm like, they need to lose weight, and they're like, no, 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 no. But what like drills would you do? I'd be like, like eating less, like move, like like increasing meat, like walking so, more, yeah. yeah. And, or they'll show me somebody who's like maybe in a very slumped rounded position. And, you know, this person has an FFMI of 11, right? They've got no muscle mass and they're someone who just looks incredibly weak. And like, well, what about this person? And, you know, they're looking at it like, well, they're a narrow ISA and I probably need to look at these things. And I'm like, that person just needs to get stronger. Yeah, <laughs> right. They can't manage their body under gravity, right? You know, and, and people think I'm like just fucking with them. And it's like, right. You know, that, that person probably needs like bilateral machine based exercises to right. start putting tissue on so they can manage their rib cage and space better, right? Like the lowest hanging fruit possible. And, but it, it's one of those things within this industry, like it's too simple to be true, right? You know, where everybody wants this really complex answer. And again, part of it I know is, you know, there's a selection bias with the people who follow me because I do. I'll post the occasional nerdy stuff and whatever that they want this super complex answer. I'm like, the answer's staring you in the face. Like five years ago, when you started in this industry, you would have had the right answer. You would have looked at that person and been like, great, weight loss school, let's go get it. Or great, we need to put on a little bit of tissue, like get you a little stronger. Cool, let's yep. go do it. And then you went down the rabbit holes of, of these complexities and, and, not that those things are bad or they're wrong, but they're also often not the straightest road to the answer, you know, right. for people. And I think we want things sometimes to be more complicated than they need to be because they seem like it's more validated or more justifiable for what we do. Right. Um, it, it's kind of the same phenomenon where it's like no personal trainers just want to be called a personal trainer anymore. 
right? We're like, we're movement <laughs> strength coach, biomechanists, or whatever. And it's like, man, you fucking train stay at home moms, like in a gym, man. Like, that, you're a personal trainer, and that's cool. Yeah. That's worthy. Exactly. Job. You help people, you know, and you don't have to call it something else. And know? then I was, I was telling Matt the other day, I get, you know, 15 ads every day for, uh, you know, fitness business coaching from a 20, four year old i'm like can can or like i'm a life coach now it's like I get those. And I'm, just I'm like uh, like report i'm reporting that shit like this is yeah. spam like this is spam like get off my get off of my shit i do not want to see this shit but like going, coming back i mean so and i and, and i think you uh, obviously you hit the nail on the head but like i uh you know and and going back to like athletes with pr like like you said, like with, with some of these like more neutral positions, like, yeah, like the, the kids, athletes, college athletes, prof- professional, like, like, like you said, like when they, when you get them under the outputs that they need to like get the stimulus that they need for training, like they are going to self-organize. Now, again, I, I'm just like, I don't, d- does that mean that maybe for some specific accessory exercises or secondary tertiary exercises that we can't set things up and be a little bit more neutral. And, you know, again, just get a, still get a good training effect that way with, with maybe a lower stimulus exercise or probably that's, that's probably not, that's probably, probably a good thing, right? Like, especially if you are a higher level athlete, a college athlete or professional athlete that maybe, you know, does have some injuries and does have some things to work around. Like maybe some of those things are, are valuable, but like specifically with my general fitness clients, like, you know, since, you know, I, I ran meat rocket for a while. And again, just listening to your stuff and kind of digging more into it, you know, some of these, some of these different, and also Pat's Pat's book, the, the rethinking the big patterns, like, you know, some of these different different positions and some of these different you know the hook line position the you know the 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 overhead press with a wall reference you know i'm just using some of these things that i programmed kind of recently with people and with myself it's like you know for general fitness like and again like you said just like hey like get on this adductor machine get in the neutral position and get a pump like <laughs> that it that's and and yeah exactly and like you know, those kind of things are, you know, you go to these, you go to these courses, you go to these, 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 you know, these different things and these different systems, and they all have their arbitrary movement standards and these movement, you know, like, you know, this is, this is appropriate. And, you know, the, the, the pushing to pulling ratio, I saw a post about that again today, you know, it's like all of these different, all of these different things, like, you know, it, 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 you know, yeah, when I was working at a corporate gym, did I see a hell of a lot of guys doing just a shitload of pressing and, and not like, we don't need to talk about shoulder health. Like, I don't think there's any studies to indicate, um, you know, your shoulder health is going to improve with some magical ratio, but like, you're just neglect, there's a lot more muscles in your back, like you're, you're neglecting the, the muscles in your back by not doing, you know, more potentially upper back rowing and lat pull down and, you know, just different variations of, of pulling, but like to say that it's going to save your shoulder, like, you know, I like the, I like the, the idea, you know, Kaz has, and I was fortunate enough to work with Adam Neff. I think you, I think you're, you're 
you you're familiar with Adam, you know, and, you know, he kind of, you know, put me on to the thought of like, you know, well, I think people need to be pressing better and like the setups for their pressing needs to be. And, and I know this, I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place with this, but like, I guess it just comes back to that idea of like, you know, don't fall in love with this, like, you know, one thing or this one system. And like, you can probably take stuff from all of these different, you know, things and make it applicable within your own training programs and the programs that you're writing for your, for your clientele and your athletes. hundred percent, you know, and even, you know, that's something where, you know, I've, I've had some posts on that in the past too, where it's just like, yeah, it's like, you, you probably just need to press better, right? Like if we want to go into, you know, um, like, like more in one stuff, it's like, yeah, like overhead presses might be hurting your shoulders because you're literally out completely perpendicular trying to right. move a range of motion that you're right. like you're literally your collarbones literally in the way because you've got your scaps retracted through the whole right. thing right you can't get upward rotation and you can't get humor rotation in that position through full range of motion yeah that probably does feel kind of shitty right. now if we actually get into like a scapular plane and all of a sudden you're just gliding full range of motion and you're feeling good like that's probably not something that's going to be detrimental to your shoulder health. Right. You know, and it's just, that's what we see all the, you know, all the time. And it, it's the same thing with, you know, the, the old squats and the, and the deadlifts, you know, deadlifts will hurt your back and squats will hurt your back. It's like, no, like doing those things shitty might have detrimental effects, but like they're perfectly safe movements. Like again, load them appropriately, move through a range of motion that your capacity, your personal capacity can, can accomplish. And you can probably build it up through graded exposure pretty pain-free most of the time. And, you know, the, the other thing that I always tell, you know, clients, especially when I worked in the gym pop realm, and this is always going to kind of sound a, a little off-putting to some coaches, but, like, the expectation is to never, isn't to never be sore. Like, that, that shouldn't be the expectation that you set for your clients because if it is, they're going to worry about every single little niggle and, and sore spot and doms and, you know, whatever that they have. And it's just like part of the training process is applying stress to yourself. And you, sometimes you'll go a little bit too far. Sometimes you're going to do something new and train a muscle or a joint in a way that you haven't before. And it's, it's going to tell you about it a little bit. Cause what's pain? Pain is just a signal. It's like a dog growling at right. you saying like, Hey, we're done here. Right. Like that's right. all, that's yep. all it's saying. Right. I love that analogy. So, you know, so it's just like that. It's yeah. I actually got that from like, I told you about a puppy and he's a bit, he's got like a, a food protection issue. Like, I don't know. He's kind of, crazy. I, my but, dogs growing up had that too. Whenever yeah, you get around them, when they're eating they're If I try to pick him up, like he's like, yeah. you don't even look at him. And, and the trainer's like, Hey, like that's just him saying like, Hey, like I'm eating here. Like right. we're, we're good. Um, and, and I've got to find another strategy to get him to go outside or do what I wanted, you know, want him to do and go, go in his, you know, tend to take a nap, whatever, right. you know, so it's like that, that's all that is, right. Especially if it's not acute pain. And I think understanding acute pain versus chronic pain is going to be something that most coaches need to understand a little bit right. and probably talk with their clients about. And again, pain science is super murky and super complicated, but right. we, can, we can get kind of superficial with our clients at least and be like, Hey, like, I, I, cause it's always interesting to me. Like, you you've worked in the corporate gym. You work with a lot of coaches. Coaches are sore all the time. Always. 
I, I've been sore for the last 20 years of my life, probably 90% of the time, yep. right? Like in some way, because <laughs> so, I've trained the entire time yep. and I'm okay with it. Cause I know I'm not hurt, yep. you know, outside of a few like minor instances, but it's like, yeah, like I've had doms all the time. Something is always sore. My chest. Me too. Yep. You know, yep. It's just, that's just where I'm at, <laughs> you know? And it's like, we can't like accept that with ourselves and then like tell our clients or set the expectation that they should never be sore. If you're working hard, you're going to be sore occasionally. And again, understanding what's appropriate and what's maybe not is, is where the coach's eye and intuition really comes into play. And I think that, I think that kind of, you know, if you're, if you are saying certain things to your clients about like never being sore and stuff like that, you know, a, like that's, you know, again like you said it's going to potentially develop into more of a like fragility type of mindset where like every like you said every ache and pain or every sore muscle that they have they think that like something's something's wrong and i and i and i i try to i try to just be straight up with my clients and i'm like you know if you're never ever sore we're probably not pushing hard enough in here if you're right you know and like i'll talk with my clients straight up about just you know stress accommodation and tissue adaptation right and, and just looking right. at like hey in any environment it doesn't matter if we're talking about cognitive psychological physical physiological environmental right external stimulus leads to adaptation right and and what we're looking at is like the strength of the stimulus is going to lead to the rate of adaptation and if you're constantly applying stimulus that you are already adapted to, you will get a null effect. And at that right. point, you're just moving to move, right? right? That's why, you know, again, like we can increase weight loss through more volume of walking, right? That's a, that's a way to apply a stimulus. It's either intensity or capacity based typically. But if we're talking about like that being a performance indicator for something else, it's not going to be because it's a body weight exercise and you're, there's nothing your body accommodates faster than it's self versus gravity, right? You right. Know, so that's literally why we lift weights to progressively overload that stimulus. Exactly. And, you know, so what we look at the, the entire training process is just implementing novel stressors whether that is novelty as far as it's something completely new or whether it's higher intensity of something familiar, higher capacity of something familiar, whatever, accommodating them, increasing, accommodating, increasing, accommodating. And that's the way our body works. And as soon as that stimulus is no longer uh, there, right, it's no longer present, we actually start losing those adaptations because, again, homeostatically, it it, uh, our body has to expend energy to maintain any stimulus, even, even cognitive, right? You know, it's right. like you read a book, you learn something, you never use it. You fucking forget it. Yep. Like, like it's yep. the same thing we talk about tissues, right? Whether it's neural coordination, whether it's your ability from a proprioceptive or vestibular perspective, whether it's actual muscle mass and tissue and those things, you know, again, will, will typically, you know, atrophies are a much slower process than like something that's neural, but, you'll lose it, right? It's the whole, you don't use it. You, you don't use it. it. You lose All it. Yep. Cheesy sayings are 100% science backed, you know, yep. and it's just, people just don't understand how, and you know, the training process applying stimulus is an uncomfortable one. Yep. It is, it is something that your, your clients will probably be uncomfortable doing. 
it is something where they will probably be a little sore here and there. They will yep. exert themselves. They will occasionally fail. Even yep. looking at like the dopaminergic process, right? It's anticipatory. Right. Like we actually quit producing dopamine when we achieve a goal. Right. Makes at that sense. point, you can afford endorphins. Yeah. Right. Endorphins yep. are very short-lived. Right. Dopamine, it's like okay, you accomplished a goal, and dopamine's looking. It's like pat on the back. What's yeah. next? Great job. What yep. are we doing next? Right. Like that's and what the crazy thing that happens with it is your your ability to produce dopamine decreases, but the threshold increases, right? So you actually have to start increasing your production to get the same effect long term, which again, that's what drugs rely on neurotransmitters, right? Like that's what right. it is, neurotransmitter effect. Right. So it's the same thing when we look at training and we look at like even in how accomplished we feel within the training process, it changes our expectations of what we want to accomplish. Right. And, and, you know, so it's like all these things tie together, right? So even looking at the stimulatory effect and how we accommodate stress, like dopamine drives that process as well, right? So it's an interesting thing when you think about it from a training process, because if you really want to motivate and encourage your clients, hard work's actually the easiest way, right? When, when people tell me they're bored with training, my immediate thought is you're just not working hard because when you fucking work hard, when you are not bored, you're the push, opposite. Push. You are engaged. I, I've, I mean, I have, I have a new client recently that I onboarded, uh, you know, and, and he's, a, he's an IT, so he sits at home. And, you know, last week we were doing some heavy sled pushes towards the end of a session. And he did a couple rounds and he was like, shit, I don't think I can do another one. And I was like, I think you can. <laughs> so we're going to do this. And afterwards he laid on the floor for a couple minutes, uh, you know, breathing heavy. Uh, but, you know, after he was done, he was like, I'm so glad you made me, you made me do that. And I was, and I was like, I was like, it, it, this, it, uh, he's like, I, I, he's like, he's like, I, a, I would never do this on my own. And B, you know, I'd be, he, he's like, I, because I, one of the things he told me in our intake process was he feels like anytime he would ever go to the gym, he felt bored. And I'm like, the, the, and, and, and I've heard you say that actually before where, and again, we understand, I, you know, coaches and people that were athletes kind of understand this because we've kind of been pushed or pushed ourselves into that. You've been a few buckets in my life, you know, it's just like- <laughs> exactly, exactly. So like we've, we've kind of been there. But like for, you know, folks that, you know, maybe haven't, maybe they didn't play a sport or maybe they, you know, are sitting in front of a desk and they're not getting, you know, uncomfortable. Like, yeah, being uncomfortable is not boring. <laughs> being uncomfortable is not boring. If you're, your autonomics every, it is on overdrive when you're right. uncomfortable, right? You know, and, and it's funny because I've had the same experience with clients with, and I, and I will use like sleds and assault bikes and stuff because they're very self-limiting, right? Like we, exactly. If you've ever failed a sled, like it's impossible to hurt yourself. Your knees literally just drop to the ground. You just and fall, fall to the floor. <laughs> you know, same thing with an assault bike, right? Like it's fixed track. There's no skill involved. Your legs blow up and you're just done, you know? Right. And and I literally had a client one, you know, a few years back, you know, we we're, we we're doing it and, you know, she, she finished and she just crushed, like I was doing sprint clusters with her where we were doing, you know, 15 on 45 off for four and then a four minute break and then a repeat and then 
we did three rounds and the middle well we did two rounds the middle of the second one she just blew up and she's laying on the ground and she's just like trying to breathe and she looked at me and she's just like is it possible to hate something and love something at the same time and i was like you fucking nailed it absolutely you know it is right like it's like you you hate it because you just failed it but you love it because of the feeling it gave you you know i think that's that's something where now it's like okay she failed it but the next time she came in all she wanted to do was achieve better right motivated as fuck yeah just like she's like i can do it you know i failed it this one time but i can do it and i know i have the capacity to do it you know and I, i think that's where you know even going back to the boredom talk, you know, I, I've talked, you know, and even earlier in my career, I, I made this mistake lots where I would have clients that were bored. And instead of like just making the same things harder, I tried to just implement a bunch of new stuff all the time. And, and I was looking at variability as being a, or novelty as being a form of entertainment for them almost. I've, I've, still, I was definitely that person too, as, like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's where our mind goes first. Right. And, and, but it's like they were still kind of working half-ass at just different stuff, right? And, yep. and, I, and so I kept getting the same complaints over and over again. And, and then finally I got to where it's like, no, I probably stumbled into it in, in the fact that it's like, you just, this is an exercise that you needed to do probably. Like it's based on your goals, based on your ability to produce output. Like there's no physical limitations or barriers that it's like probably a light press. And it's like, we're just going to push out fucking weight. Right. You know, and, and, and it's just like, I had a, you know, finally had clients just working harder at the things and was much better adherence, better results. Results. Yep. Uh, you know, and it's just like the light goes on and you're just like, well, I'm an idiot. Like <laughs> I, I do the same 10 exercises every time I fucking train each week. Yep. I've got clients doing God knows what. Right. And it's just like, they, they need the same thing I do just scaled to their ability. Like that's yep. all it, you know, work harder and yep. you know all of this stuff you know in the industry whether we're talking about education systems or you know different modalities or whatever like so much of it is geared and marketed to a human being's natural desire to work less right again back to homeostasis and that's our society that's our that's literally our society that's what it is <laughs> right? you know, it's like fitness is just a microcosm of everything else yep and because humans are going to human, right? It doesn't yep. matter what they're doing. And it's like, everybody's trying to just find a way to biohack effort. And you can't biohack effort. You just have to work, you yep. know, at the end of the day. Like, that's what's going to drive people. And nobody wants to hear it. And it's very hard to sell because people want to buy things that, again, force them to work less or enable them yep. to work less, not things that make them work more. And I think that's, that's the challenge most coaches actually have in this industry. Yep. And I think there's, and I think there's, you know, as time, I think as time goes on and the more people you coach and especially specifically in the general fitness realm, like, again, kind of like we talked about, there's, there's certain tools and implements and, and things that, you know, you can, you can use for, you know, you don't have to do, you know, barbell squats to failure and you know like burpees and you know maybe things you've seen in 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 certain whatever cross exactly because again it's like most of my clients it's a constrained movement 
right? So again, and again, it's like I look at that you were talking about even like using the hook line bench press as a secondary accessory for an athlete. A hook line bench press is just a machine press. That, exactly. It's literally a seated machine press, yep. just horizontal, right? It's like now I can put somebody in a machine, set it up, create the the shape or the position that I'm looking for from a structural perspective and just let them jam out reps. Go to town. You know, and it's like I look at that now and it's just, and, and my clients love it. You know, and yep. it's the, Same. the athletes that I work with, we typically have two higher stem days where we'll get in like compound movements and we'll sneak some plyometrics in or something of that nature, depending on where they are in their phase. Right. And then they literally just have a third day. Usually it's like the Wednesday where man, they jam machines. And yeah. I use those as their accessories and they just get a pump. They work through hypertrophy rep ranges and tempos and work on tissue quality and occlusion rates. And it feels and, fucking good. <laughs> and they love it. They love every bit of it. It's their favorite day. You know, and it's just like, yeah, I, I wish I would have figured this out five or six years ago. Well, but that, but that that's yeah. that's why I'm so grateful to be able to listening to somebody like you on podcasts and, 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 and see, you know, the stuff that, that, you know, that you're posting because the reality is, is like, I've had a lot of those light bulb moments just by reading some of your posts and listening, listening to some of the things that, you know, you're saying on podcasts and it's helping retention, it's helping results. It's so like, but all of these things make sense. And like, we're down at a facility where, yeah, we have access to, you know, we have a functional trainer, we have a cable, a cable system, we have, you know, a myriad of sleds, and we have two of those fucking awesome road assault bikes, or whatever they're called road road bikes or whatever. So like, yeah, I don't have a I don't have a gym where where I'm training my clients that's full of of of, you know, machines. But there's, again, like you can set these people up in positions that are Exactly. That are, that are, that, that, that puts you in a much more neutral position. And then again, just like pushing outputs, you know, if, if I have, if I have clients that, you know, maybe they, I, I have one client specifically that she has a knee replacement and that knee is fantastic, but the other knee is not in the, but like there, we'll yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely next in line, but you know, and she's, you know, she's 60 years old. She's, you know, has grandkids. She's very active outside of the gym. She's an x-ray tech. But like when she comes in the gym, you know, yeah, maybe we're not hammering out split squats and reverse lunges or lunges, but like, guess what? She pushes the damn sled pain free. And like, we can load that sucker for output and just go to town. That's a, that's a knee hip dominant grab, man. You know, it's, it's funny because I'll get even on the free weight side because I, I traditionally, I use a lot of trap bars. I do a lot of hat weights with a lot of my stuff. And people be like, you know, why, why aren't you using barbells with everything? And I'm like, well, I can lift more weight more times. And people are literally like, isn't that cheating? Cheating what? All this shit's made up, man. I'm like, I'm like, what are you? Who, who do you think I'm cheating? Like, and I'm not, and I, yeah, like I'm not, am I a, uh, am I, am I a competitive power lifter? Is, is that how I am making money? Yeah. <laughs> like, they're like, you're using the high handles. I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> and, like, and what, you know, I'm I not can, in a 
difficult competition with this dude in my thread with no profile right. picture. You know, it's just I like, love that. You know, there, there's just people are like it, the mentality and the the emotional attachment to certain things just because they've been around longer. It is it's like people who are like still clinging to you know the abacus when you have an iphone in your hand it's like what are you like dude you you got a calculator it's cool like you can right. use that. like yes you to martyr yourself to this thing that's probably worse for most of your people unless they want to use it right it's yeah not necessarily as efficient so it's always weird to me to kind of go through that process with people because it's uh, again it, it's just a lot of it's just opinion you know right the day, like outputs are outputs like how you how do you get that? Like, I'm looking for the most efficient and effective way to train. Right. Yep. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, damn Kyle. Well, I've, we're going to have to do this again because I've got more shit on these note cards. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you, do you have, do you have any time or do you have to, do you have to jump off? I got, I got a little bit of time. We okay. We can go, yeah, we can go another 15 minutes. Okay. Um, just the, 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 the principles, the principles versus systems conversation. Like what, I, I, what are your, what are your core, what do you think your core principles are? Yeah. So, I mean, my big things are like, I'm looking at kind of like universal truths, right. You know, and, and, you know, so when I'm, when I'm looking at any exercise or any training program, whatever, first and foremost, I'm looking at stimulus, right. Right? And, and if something's not a high enough, and kind of we, we already alluded to this, right? It, if something's not a high enough stimulus to elicit an adaptation, I'm probably not using it. Unless it's just like a feel good, somebody has a, a psychosomatic, they're like, yeah, I just really like doing this thing. And it gets me in the zone to do this other thing, right? The thing that you right. want to do, like, cool, spend five minutes doing that. That's fine. Like if you need to do a 90-90 breathing drill, or you want to do like a glute activation drill, whatever i'll let you do that even if you don't necessarily believe in it sure uh, you know so it's like th those are the things that i look at first like everything that i want to do within a training program i want to be impactful right the the second one is you know for for me what we typically will see is, and again we talked about this a little bit earlier too funny how principles always come up right is you know we the two the two main drivers or differences we see between a lot of systems are position drives function or function drives position. Position. And for me, I look at you know task first, right? Because the task is going to drive the position that drives the function, or exactly. the task is going to drive the function that drives the position. And, you know, so I, I think a lot of these other, a lot of the systems that at least I've learned in the past, like they, they have pretty arbitrary assessment protocols and, and whatever, where, you know, we're looking at the human body, we're looking how it moves, but we're not looking at what the person's actually trying to do from a goal selection perspective, right? And right. why would I, as a coach, provide the same assessment to a geriatric, to a marathon runner, to a power lifter, to a basketball player? Right. Like, right. It's not going to cover all of those task demands. It's not going to be accurate on probably any of them. hundred percent. Right. Like just go full George box, all models are wrong type conversation, but it's not going to hit all the markers anyway. Right. So for me, anytime that I'm working with a client, I'm going through an assessment process and I'm looking at programming for them. The first thing I want to understand is 
what are their goals, right? So what are your task demands, right? right? What do you want to achieve? And then I look at that person's abilities, right? So look at their, their physical structure, look at their morphology. Because again, I can't also assume that a six, eight person is going to move the same a five, three person is going to move yep. and hold them to the same standards. So I'm going to look at their morphology. I'm going to look at their kinematics. I'm going to look at you know, biomechanics as a whole. And then I'm going to look at their actual ability from a physiological perspective, right? Their, their ability, their work capacity, their labor capacity, their ability to produce force as it you know, stands respective to task demands. And right. everything in between those is going to be what we're training, right? Yep. I'm going to look at limiters, right? Whether it's a rate limiter for force production or whether it's a rate limiter for capacity or or whether it's a movement limiter where you just can't get into a position that you need to get into efficiently to do what you want to do, then I'll look more at structural and biomechanical things. Uh, so all the training is going to be directed at those things within that context, right? Right. The the other big principle or one of the other ones I look at is, you know, again, part of this probably delves more into my my psychology ask, you know, background or interest is looking at, you know, the biopsychosocial model and looking at somebody's expectations relative to training, right? Because again, it's funny, I'm actually going to probably make a post on this tomorrow, but outputs and metrics and numbers don't actually bring people satisfaction and happiness, right? right? Their expectations relative to those results are what drive satisfaction happiness or dissatisfaction and, and unhappiness right like you being able to you know you deadlifting 400 pounds might be an off day for your client that might be twice or like a, P, a two-time pr right and it's yep. day of their life right so yep. again like these numbers these things don't necessarily mean anything in right. isolation the context is provided by the client's expectations to their own performance right so a lot of that has to do then with how we, we communicate and reframe those expectations to the training process for them, right? How we give feedback, how we set expectations early on in the process, uh, because that's going to dictate how they view their results long-term. You know, right. I think that, that's an important thing for coaches to understand too, from just a programming and performance perspective. 100%. Uh, yeah, so like those are the, the, the biggest things that I look at. And again, from a biomechanical perspective, like, posturally like whatever like i will i will look at joint actions i will look at you know tissue integration so whether i'm looking at again like um eccentric or concentric orientations of the muscles lengthen or shorten positions whatever like i look at all of those things and i will dictate exercise selections based on you know driving a certain muscle position whatever just like anybody else um if I'm looking at like gait related things, again, I'm going to be looking at more unilaterally based things versus bilaterally. And those might be my secondary or tertiary based exercises. Um, from an output perspective, I'm still going to go bilateral for most people because I'm not necessarily looking at muscular adaptations or structural as much as I'm looking at neurological adaptations and the ability to produce force, right? So I don't care if you're bilateral, if I can get a 150% stimulus on you. At right, point, right. right. I can, I can work the unilateral or gate-based things at a much lower controlled environment later on with more volume and capacity where it probably matters more. Right. So, again, like those, those are kind of what I'm looking at from, from a principles perspective. And, you know, it, when I look at the systems themselves, you know, I'm just trying to find commonalities, you know, right. and 
Matt and I have this joke where it's like uh, everything devolves back to gobble squats. Like it doesn't matter what assessment you're using for somebody. Like the first corrective intervention is a heel elevated gobble squat. Yep. It's, it, really... it doesn't matter if we're talking about creating a better ZOA or getting forward knee translation or getting more depth and more vertical translation of a pelvis or getting a ribcage retracted back in space and better stacking over a pelvis or, or more VMO and adductor magnus activation and integration on the depth of a squat. It doesn't matter how you frame it or what lens you look into it. It's just a more mechanically efficient or constrained variation for most people to accomplish full range, right? You know, so at that point, it's like, do, do I need to go through this entire individualized system-based battery of testing, or can I just watch somebody gobble a squat and play their heel elevation and see what they look like? Yeah, and even even to this day for myself, you know, like I've, you know, I've had, again, injuries and surgeries and different stuff. And like, you know, the, the heel elevated goblet squat with, you know, chains on or whatever, like whatever I have to load to that, that squat feels really good for me. You know, the, 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 the Hatfield squat is another one that feels pretty good. The, you know, the, the hack squat machine feels pretty damn good for me. Um, you know, and, and I, I think that, I've, I've gotten questions recently with some of my general fitness clients where I posted, you know, them doing either Hatfield squats or, you know, just uh, safety, safety bar box, like squat to a box and, and certain trainers of people ask me, you know, like, you, do you like, but a bilateral lift, like bilateral. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, like uh, at the end of the day, like I'm doing this for output. And like, this person is coming to me with, you know, these goals of, building some muscle and getting stronger. And, you know, this kind of helps that neurological efficiency of like, you know, if you can push this for strength, you know, like this is potentially going to leak over into like some of your other training qualities as well. Like when it comes to just being stronger, you know, and, um, and, and I'll, and I'll run phases uh, with, with clients where, you know, we'll do, maybe a single leg variation of like a Hatfield split squat or something like that. But I'm, I'm still trying to, to, to push, you know, to push, push people for outputs. And like the trap bar deadlift is like, that's like a staple in fucking every one of my clients programs really Kyle. Like it's like, like I work with three endurance athletes right now. And, and one of them, two of them are triathletes and one of them is an ultra marathon and, and runs between 50 and 100 you know, mile races essentially three to four times a year. And their capacity-based athletes, they all do bilateral force production-based exercises, right? And again, like one of them, when they came to me and, you know, we were talking through the assessment and, and, and they even, they told me during the initial consultation, they're like, I'm not going to train with you if you make me do bilateral like squats. And, and I told them, sure, I was like, I'm probably going to make you do bilateral squats. And the guy was just like, why? Like I, I run and swim. And, and I looked at him and I was like, Hey man, like you've got a resting heart rate of 36 and you've got a VO2 through the roof. Do you think your performance limiter is capacity based or power based? Power. <laughs> yeah. and was like, oh. and I was like, yeah, man, like we're not going to, like, we're not going to do it every day. Right. We're going to cycle it in and out. 
from a volume perspective, but you'll probably do a bilateral squat and a bilateral hinge in some variation or some you know, capacity every single week when you're training with me. Yep. Because increasing your power is the lowest hanging fruit to you being better at your sport. And like, dude, you, you run 50 miles a week, you swim <laughs> two 90 minute sessions and you bike an ungodly amount. Like, eight total reps of a squat over the course of a week isn't going to fuck up your gait. No. Like, <laughs> Come on now. I promise, right? You know, and it's just, and, you know, sometimes you just have to have the conversations with people. And, you know, right. he ended up, you know, he's trained with me now for almost a year. And he was like, you know, honestly, the reason I decided to train with you is you were honest with me. You know, and you could back up, you know, what you wanted to do from a strategy perspective and why. And you were okay to let me just walk. Yeah like yeah man like i like i'm all about like client preference like i will you know within that continuum like i will choose variations that are better for you from an efficiency perspective and from an enjoyment perspective but just from a specific principles perspective like your limiter is very clearly strength and power yep and that's the lowest hanging fruit from my perspective on training like me increasing your capacity in unilateral and gate-based movements is barely going to move the needle with the amount of volume that you're already doing, right? right. We're literally just overlapping, you know, right. logical traits. And I think from, again, from a training perspective, like there's a time and place to kind of stand your ground, but I'm not just going to leave out this entire thing with this athlete just because they they feel or believe they shouldn't do it, I will have the conversation with them. Right, exactly. Well, and I mean, again, like something I talked with Matt about last week was like, you know, I, I like to give clients, you know, what they, obviously what they enjoy, specifically from a general fitness standpoint, you know, what they what they enjoy and, and, and you know, introduce them to, to, to different, um, you know, different modalities and, you know, different, you know, at a very base level rep ranges and rest intervals and, you know, that, that, that sort of thing exercises, obviously, but like, you know, it, it kind of, kind of comes back to like when, when clients are working hard, whether it, you know, whether they're doing a, you know, a Hatfield squat for sets of five or six, or they're, you know, doing reverse lunges or they're pushing a sled. Like if they're, if, if they're working hard and, you know, you do have the, 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 the constraints so they can push themselves without, you know, obviously injuring themselves or doing something silly. Like it's, you're, at least in my experience, they're going to get good results and have good, you're going to have good retention. Um, so like this, right. You know, it's like that, that's the other thing about expectations is if you want to feel good about something, it has to be hard. Right. Nobody feels good about doing something easy. Like I don't, right. I don't congratulate myself for walking outside and getting the mail out of the mailbox and coming back home. Right. No. Like, like again, it's like the, the expectation of, of, of feeling good and feeling accomplished and getting that satisfaction is like you overcame something that was difficult, probably to the point where you didn't believe you could actually do it. Right. In yep. those cases, right. And hundred percent. You want clients that enjoy the training process and feel like they're getting the most out of it and feel accomplished through it and motivated to continue on. You've got to push that. Right. At some point, that's just human psychology. Like you have to push them past some of those, you know, often self-imposed barriers. Right. You know, from an expectation perspective. The only other thing I had was like 
wanted to get into concurrent training models, but that's going to be too long. So let's just, let's do this. The, my, the, so I, I lied when I said the, the, when I told you I didn't have any scripted questions, I did like, what's your favorite thing about the personal training, strength and conditioning industry, and then your least favorite thing about the industry? I mean, I, I honestly, the, my favorite thing is I, I do, in, in my experience, I genuinely believe the vast majority of the people in the industry are trying to help people. Right. Like, I think there's a lot of good intention behind it. You know, based on my experience, based on talking with, with a lot of other coaches over the years, like, yeah, there's some shitheads, but sure. there's also, you find that in any group of people, right? Right. But I do think it is an industry where people genuinely want to help people succeed. And yep. want them, and want to help people become healthier, fitter versions of themselves. Uh, my my least favorite probably has a lot to do with just the business aspect of how of what education has turned into, you know. And and again, a part of that's the systems and, and whatever, but it's also just like the the dogma and the tribalism that kind of comes with those things, right? Where you you now have you know. Uh, the different the, the different acronyms all have their they have their little groups and you know and they they talk shit about the other groups and, and so on and so forth and everybody right. has to talk about how much better you are than the other group and more effective and at the end of the day it's just like man like it's just like any other belief system that, that a person's got to hold you know you're always going to be biased towards your own tribe and if you're stuck in that tribe for for too long like at that point you're no longer seeking growth you're seeking validation right and because again, growth, like any other adaptation, is uncomfortable. And uncomfortable. Encompasses learning new things, interacting with people from from some of these other groups, finding similarities, having discussions, and you know something that that you know, especially like on social media, we see it very prevalently. Like, I've muted all the people that do things like I do, you know, and and I, I joke around with them about it. Like, I like I got Pat on mute, David Gray's on mute, like all these people that, that do similar things to me or people that I like really respect that I actually have on mute. So if I want to see their stuff, I have to make a conscious effort to go seek them out. And I actually, the people that I follow the most are people that really kind of push my own beliefs a lot. And sometimes like not trigger me, but I'm just like, they, they, they go the opposite way of a lot of the things that I prefer to do. But at the same time, it's like, I see them getting great results with people. Right. And, and, you know, and well, and, and that's, that, that was when I originally followed you, that was like kind of where I was at. Cause I was, you know, kind of a, in, within us, <laughs> within a certain system yeah, or, or certain systems. And I followed you and you, uh, there were things where some of my quote unquote beliefs were being challenged and but again, like I saw the results, I saw obviously your training, um, you know, I, I, and that led me obviously to Matt and the podcast and like all of kind of taking me down all these other rabbit holes and then experimenting on with some of these things myself, some of these things that, that, that you're talking about, some of these principle based things. But I think like from a, you know, that, it, it, you know, your, yourself, you know, Joe DeFranco, I think does a really good job at like, you know, bringing together kind of all of the things that that you guys have learned from these specific systems and all of these things and bringing it into you know I know Joe probably calls it kind of like his con his kind of conjugate method and this concurrent style of of, of training um, 
but that that that's that's kind of been you know over the past like year and a half two years like more attractive i guess to me versus this like kind of like you said because i kind of fell into the the systems thing as a younger coach you know coming up in my 20s and you just do see you see so so much dogma and tribalism and like just we're having dumb like i see all these dumb arguments and dumb conversations when like you look at like statistically in america like we're coming up on 50 percent of the country being overweight and obese man like it's like yeah it's climbing people just need to people just like people need us more than ever man like this is that we're have like these conversations are just stupid and silly. Um, and, and uh, like kind of you've called out before, like we're in other folks, we're creating more barriers to people just fucking exercising. (laughs) Do it, do it, do it and do it in an enjoyable way. Right. This is exactly, exactly. So dude, I, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been awesome. I, uh, I'd love to do it again and literally just do an episode talking concurrent training. Cause yeah. we can definitely do that. Okay. Awesome, man. Appreciate you. Um, tell everybody where they can find you and, and, and compound performance and obviously plug the, the compound app. That's where, that's where I'm housing all of my hybrid and, and remote clients as well now. So. Yeah. So uh, Instagram is the easiest place to find me. That's where I do most of my stuff. Um, and it's just compound performance with an underscore after it. And then the the app page is get compound um, uh, on Instagram. And that's, again, where we post most of the stuff there. The, the website, which we just redid and kind of relaunched yesterday, um, is compoundperformance.com. Um, and there's uh, there's a link to the to the app as well. But the app web page is getcompound.app. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's, that's where most of our stuff is. We're trying to get, trying to be better about the YouTube stuff. We have the podcast as well, obviously. And that's just compound performance radio, which you can search on Apple or, um, you know, any of the other ones. Um, but yeah, we, we're still probably more prevalent just on, on Instagram because it's easy and we have more people that, that like us on there than, than on the other platforms at this point. Um, so it's, you know, all of our stuff's linked in the link trees and, and all that good stuff too. Awesome. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on. Awesome. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yep.